all of the the minor successes I've experienced so far have just been the direct result of a supportive community. Hi, and welcome to South Asian Stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Raman Borsalino. Raman is a staff writer on NBC's A Little Late with Lily Singh and was the executive producer and co-creator of Freeform's 2020 election series, CalPen Approves This Message. Raman has written for Adam McKay and Will Ferrell in This Giant Beast that is the global economy on Amazon Prime and has worked on Michael Schur's 2019 primetime NBC comedy, Sunnyside. Raman previously served as a political appointee in the U.S. Department of the Interior under President Obama and has worked on a number of high-profile political campaigns in his home state of Iowa. In this conversation, we discuss a lot, including the hilarious story where Raman's dad took his family to see Harold and Kumar in theaters for the first time, how Raman worked on the Clinton campaign and how DC broke him before moving to LA, as well as going from CalPen's assistant to the co-creator of ABC's Freeform show in less than a week. Raman had me laughing throughout the entire episode and shows us the power of serendipitous moments. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Raman Borsalino. Raman, welcome to South Asian Stories Podcast. We are so thrilled to have you. How are you doing this morning? Thank you so much, Samir. I'm very excited to be here. I want to start off by saying thank you for the work you do elevating South Asian voices. It's incredible, and there are not enough folks like you doing it. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it. And, you know, you have a special place in many South Asians' heart because, you know, we were talking about before we started recording is you are in the entertainment industry and an industry that we honestly don't have wonderful representation. So the fact that you're doing what you do is just incredible. And I know our listener is just so thrilled to hear this, but I want to start way at the beginning, way at the beginning. Raman in his, in his childhood form, tell us about what, what your childhood was like growing up and how South Asian was your family and, and, and what was it like? Totally. So for one, you may have noticed that my last name is not particularly South Asian. My name is Raman Borsalino. Raman comes from uh, my Bengali grandfather, Ramendra, Ramendra Basu. And uh, that's my mom's side of the family. Borsalino is very different, gruff Bronx, New York, Italian family. So I have a, I have a very different background uh, than most. Yes. And so the question was, how was I as a child? Uh, total goofball. Uh, okay. to- your question. Not that I knew I'd end up in the entertainment industry, uh, but I guess that was just inevitable. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, okay. in the Midwest. So there were not many people who looked like me, for one. My mother, uh, my, well, both of my parents, rather, uh, were columnists for the local newspaper, Des Moines, the Des Moines Register. And by virtue of that, my family had a fairly public image. So for lack of a better phrase, uh, we were to some degree the uh, the token brown folks in Des Moines, Iowa. I think if uh, if people were to have any questions uh, of uh, brown people related, they would probably give my mom a call. Yeah, uh, right, right. And did you feel like when you were growing up that you struggled at all with your identity? Am I South Asian? You know, am I Italian? Am I American? Did those all come together? Were you having Bengali food with Italian food? And (laughs) like, how was that experience for you? Yeah, I ate very well. Uh, (laughs) I will say that I still do. You know, in some ways, the fact that nobody else really looked like me, I used very much to my advantage. And I think, you know, I mentioned that I was a goofball. I think that being the tendency to want to be a class clown, to want to stand out and to want to be different came from the fact that I felt like there were already all eyes on me for, you know, to some degree. Right. You're sitting, you're sitting in a class in Des Moines and the, the vast majority of your peers are white. You already feel like there's sort of a spotlight. So I could be the quote unquote model minority, which I already knew was not going to work. There was just, there was no way I was, uh, I was uh, good enough at school to pull that one off. So why not go class clown? Right. So I did my best at that. 
the other question. There was very much a a spotlight, not always good, on on being brown and oftentimes well intentioned, but it'd be the type of thing where I'm walking home from school with my friends and I say something about, you know, my Indian background and a buddy says what he thinks is a compliment. The most the most earnest compliment he can give is, man, Raman, I forget that you aren't white like the rest of us. To which it's like, thank you. Yeah. And and so that's on, you know, that's something that's on my mind. There's there's the time that my mom goes to the eye doctor because she's she's having like a minor vision problem. She goes to a new eye doctor and the eye doctor says, well, let me ask you this, ma'am. Do you do you use Curie? And my mom is like, what? I don't know. I don't know what you're asking. You know, well, aren't you, you know, as an Indian, don't you cook? You cook with, with, with curry. Am I saying it right? Like, well, first of all, no, you're not saying it right. It's curry. Okay. Well, is it possible that maybe some of the spices have gotten in your eye and, and that's what's causing the irritation? And th- I mean, this is a, this is a respectable in the community eye doctor who is suggesting that because a brown woman is having a hard time seeing it's because cause she got curry in her eye. Again, is is that dude uh, a racist prick? Probably not. But has he had many exposure, much exposure to brown people? No. And so he sees folks differently. And there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. No, that that makes makes a lot of sense because these like microaggressions, and especially with the environment we're in now, when you know there's Asian hate and 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 it's just like things like this are coming to the surface that our community has dealt with for so long, especially our parents and our, and our grandparents that it's, you know, and we, we keep it under wraps because we don't want to cause too much of like a, you know, a ruckus, but now like, you know, seeing our Asian brothers and sisters and grandparents going through this stuff, like, I'm like, wow. Okay. You know, you, people think it's just happening to you and your family, like, wait, 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 it's, it's everyone. And we're all speaking up. It's sickening. It, it, and, and something I want to add to that too is, and we'll get to this more, I think, as we talk about representation in the South Asian community and entertainment. But some of the really just the biggest advocates, the strongest allies that I've had are other Asians in, in the entertainment industry. And that's not necessarily South Asian, right? Yep. You've got a lot of East Asians and, and the folks who are really going through it right now. You know, I think Correct. a lot of people will tell you this, that after you know, you know this after 9-11, that's when, you know, we we were really struggling. And I think right now I've had folks reach out to me and say, you know, hey, as an Asian, how are you doing? I've been thinking about you. I know about the violence against Asians, et cetera. And I'll be like, I really appreciate that. That's really thoughtful. My role right now is to be an ally more to the folks who are really at the receiving end of this, because, yes. you know, not to minimize the the hate against people that look like us too, but we are, I think at this moment, at least we are not the, the true victims. And so I are, our, our goal should be to really elevate and help those that are. Do you agree with that? I agree. I agree totally. And it's like, you know, when one of us is hurting, all of us is hurting. And people, you know, as you said, we went through our time where we struggled and had a lot of people reach out to us. And, the, you know, East Asians, while we're all Asian American, like we always have to support each other. And and that's why this podcast exists is to give voices to people who are underrepresented in jobs and careers that, you know, may not, ha- we, we don't have mentors for, but before we jump into that, I want to go back into yes. writing, you know, so you grew up in you know Iowa and your parents were, you know, in the journalism business. Did that inspire your own writing and, you know, or, or ability into the arts or what, 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 what was that for you? So I actually, I, I don't think it did. I think that on some level, I was sort of trained to, you know, to know how to write and to take it seriously, but I never really thought about, about it that way. It's so funny. Even today, someone will read something I wrote and uh, and be like, oh, of course you come from a family of writers. And I'll be like, well, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> I'll be like, you know, writing writing sketches and monologue jokes, I don't sometimes in my mind tend to make the connection to writing these these articles yeah. uh, that my parents did. But, you know, writing comes in, in, in many forms, of course. And I think that did have a big influence on me. That is to say, I did not intend to be a writer. I had, I had no idea 
that I was going to write professionally. And frankly, Samir, I had no idea that I was going to explore comedy or entertainment. Um, <laughs> that was for me a sort of a, a combination between a pipe dream and just something that I never thought I could or would do seriously. Yeah. Um, and I'm and happy to happy to walk you through how, how yes, that Yes, please. That was my next question because sometimes these serendipitous moments are the most unique, right? You're in the right place at the right time. Someone notices something small that, you know, so talk us about your unique story of, of how it happened. That is exactly what happened to me. I uh, very, very serendipitous. So I am from Des Moines, Iowa, where you, for some reason, have to go every four years to become president of the United States. Those are the rules. I didn't write them. Uh, but the Iowa caucus system, who knows, maybe rest in peace, could be on its last legs. The Iowa caucus system, for those unfamiliar, we are the first state, we have been historically the first state in the nation to vote uh, in a presidential primary. Yeah. So the the exposure and momentum you get from winning that first state is unmatched, which means that every presidential candidate from both parties effectively lives in the state of Iowa uh, for <laughs> a few months up to a year leading up to it. So growing up, I thought it was normal that you get to meet all the presidential candidates, right? Like eventually Hi, you'd meet someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eventually you'd meet someone in another state and it'd be like, oh, so did John Kerry pronounce your name correctly the first time you met him? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so it's this crazy privilege. So in 2007, I was, it was my senior year in high school, and you've got Obama pulling third to uh, to Hillary and John Edwards down 30 points. But his campaign looked like a lot of fun, and I thought his message looked incredible. So I thought to myself, given that I live at the heart of the political world right now, and you've got this candidate that I really believe in, I want to be a part of this. So I joined Obama's campaign as an intern um, while I was in high school. Incredible experience getting to do events, getting to sign up other students. It was the first vote I ever cast uh, was my caucus vote for Obama. One of the things that came with that, though, was we built this, built this great foundation for his campaign uh, at my high school, such that the campaign called me and said, would you like to do a surrogate event? Uh, it means that you can build a crowd of folks to come. We will send someone cool that young people would like. And uh, and I, of course, was like, yeah, give us <laughs> give us a celebrity. I'll get you 50 people, 100 people. Who are you thinking? And they said, we have in town Cal Penn, who played Kumar in the Harold and Kumar movies. Now, my dad had taken the entire family to see Harold and Kumar on opening day a few years earlier. The midnight showing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we were we were like you would count, camp out for a Star Wars movie. Yeah. We were camped out in our stoner gear. No, that is very much a joke. But for my dad, knowing that I like to joke around and then and then seeing seeing an ad for uh for this movie about a South Asian dude who's the film is not based on his identity is not about the fact that he yes. is South Asian. My dad is like, we have to see this as a family. And mind you, my dad is the white member, the one white member yeah. of the family, <laughs> but he got it. So, so as soon as I saw that, I was like, whoa, as soon as I saw the movie, like, whoa, this is really cool. The, the identity of the Kumar character is really cool. I had seen the namesake, another film by Cal. So I was very, very excited to meet him. So we did this event at my high school and Believe it or not, I, I ended up making this friendship with with Cal and we stayed in touch. And throughout the years, he became a close friend and a mentor and sort of at some point said to me, I think you're a funny guy. I think you're clearly interested in, in making people laugh. Why not pursue the entertainment career? Uh, seriously. And it's something I never would have thought to do. So when he told you that, what did that make you feel like? How, what was going through your head? Like me? Like, really? You think me? Like, oh yeah. I was like, this is one of those, you know, we've all seen, we've all seen the movie Carrie. You, you, you get the, uh, the loser up on stage so you can humiliate them and dump pig's <laughs> blood on them. I was like, Cal is playing the long con here yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to get me in the, in the public eye. Uh, and, and no, but I, I, it didn't happen in one moment to be clear. It was like this ongoing friendship throughout the years. And again, 
it was not something I would have considered. So I went into career in politics and entertainment. I didn't, I didn't take a stab at comedy uh, or, or sorry, I went to, a, let me rephrase it. I went to a career in politics and government. That was a Freudian slip because we all know that, that government is very much a form of entertainment, unfortunately. Yeah, right, right. So I went to college and I, I got out and I worked on the Obama campaign and then I worked on another Senate race and then I worked in the Obama administration for a couple of years because again, I thought this is the most tenable trajectory for me. It is something that I think I would, for lack of a better phrase, uh, have the least shot of failing at. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. It was great. But it was during those years that I got to know Cal better. And he was sort of like, you know, if this is something you're, you're interested in, you should pursue it. And more than that, I didn't, I didn't know what types of jobs existed in the entertainment career. Not only did he push me towards that type of career, he pushed me towards specifically saying, I see you as a writer. And I think, I think based on what I know about you, writing is what could be, you know, your background. And so I ran with it. And again, very much under his, his guidance and mentorship, he, I would be working uh, in DC in the administration and he would call me and say, Hey, I'm going to be on Colbert in New York on, you know, Tuesday. And so I would, uh, I would get, take work off and take a bus, take a, a mega bus to <laughs> New York. I, I don't know why I had to specify that. But, I've taken um, multiple mega buses. That's why I was smiling. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Samir. Uh, you, you and I, we need people to know that we got a good deal. Uh, that's right. On the the trip, one dollar, right? right. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, there are people out here paying eighty dollars for uh, for an Amtrak, and I'm pocketing the seventy nine dollar profit. I just I'm with you, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. So we got that out there. It was a mega bus, and so Cal would go on Colbert, for example, and bring me along and I'd chill in the, uh, in the green room and write jokes for him. Some that he would use, some that would land and get a big laugh. Occasionally some that wouldn't. And then afterwards he, he would introduce me to, you know, Colbert and say, this is my writer, uh, Raman. And that is a holy shit moment for me. Wow. Wow. I want to, I want that to, I want that to be how I see myself and how I'm presented. So that that I mean that story told that was a specific moment, but I remember that as being the moment of, I don't just want this to be a, a part time thing. I want this yeah. to to be what I do, you know, professionally. Man, I have so many questions. First question is: Do you remember the jokes that hit versus the ones that didn't? I somehow magically remember the ones that hit and not the ones that didn't. So I can only tell you the one (laughs) short term memory. (laughs) No. So yeah, exactly. No. So this one was for, it was the first presidential debate of 2016. Yeah. And so Colbert went live. So Cal was like, let's watch the debate together. And then if you can brainstorm any jokes. So one, you know, this is not, brilliant material here but one was that one observation i wrote down in my notes was i cannot tell if trump is saying that he's going to do something about attacks a t t a c k s or a tax a t a x because no one can figure out what the hell this dude is saying yeah but it does not really matter because he doesn't have a plan for either and so uh cal said some form of that much more articulate than I just did, but it got a, a big laugh. And then the other one was Colbert asked asked him, "Do you see yourself potentially?" So basically, what could you do to? What would it take for you to support Donald Trump? And I think he was able to slip in again, not a brilliant line, but he he couldn't see himself supporting someone who is actively trying to deport Harold and Kumar. <laughs> now that that's good. That's good. Was was it um, like a surreal moment to see Cal share the you know the, the jokes that you had come up with? You're like, wow, that came from my brain. Now it's sp- spoken to Colbert, who are like the like the pillars of comedy. You know, is is that was that like a pinch me moment? Here's the thing: there there is no doubt about that, and and more than that, even I think a lot of writers come to terms with the fact that we we live in the background to some degree, you know, our job is to make the folks that we write for look good. And that's great. I, I truly love doing that when I, you know, we'll talk about this more later, but when I'm writing for someone and 
you read the online comments saying, oh my God, Lily Singh, I, I love that joke, knowing, knowing that that's fine. There's not even a part of me that wants acknowledgement. I, the opposite. I, I want to be the person in the background. Um, yeah. But, and, and to be clear, the folks I've worked for have always been great at shouting out their writers. But in this moment with Cal, especially, he was so quick to introduce me as his writer and, and, and give me that credit. And that was especially what felt really, really good about it. That's amazing. Yeah. Cal Penn is one of those people that's like the pioneers for South Asians in entertainment. So I feel like he's on the special Mount Rushmore of, uh, of people that people like South Asians like us look up to, because when I saw that movie for the first time, I'm like, wow, he's actually a cool Indian guy, right? Like not someone that you see the, the stereotypes in a movie. You're just like, wow, that person talks and acts like me, but I'm curious to know, what was it like knowing Cal behind the scenes and behind the screen? Because a lot of people listening have seen the movie, but they don't know what's he like as a person. Can you describe that? Total asshole. Just <laughs> the biggest. I mean, just like what a what a prick, you know. Sorry, Cal, if you were listening, obviously a joke. Nicest guy, funniest guy. So actually, let me tell you a little more about. Let me sort of continue on my please, timeline please. because it still very much involves him. So I'm working, uh, I'm working in the Obama administration and we know that it's going to wrap up. We know that it's about to end. And so we are thinking ahead to, to future jobs. That said, we were told there is a chance, you know, obviously Hillary's going to win and maybe we'll even take the Senate and the, uh, and you know, the house and, therefore there could be way more jobs in DC for folks. You could maybe stick around in the new administration. So in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm looking ahead for future jobs, but you know, the, the likelihood is that I'll just kick around DC for a while, maybe yeah. jump between branches. Suddenly, you know, complaining about not having a stable job in DC is truly the, the least of anyone's worries when we got to the election results in 2016. <laughs> But I was like, oh, okay, I will not be staying in D.C. anymore. Yes. Uh, it is time to get serious here. So I, I, in some ways, did the chase the starving artist dream of, I was like, all right, well, this is it. This is the time to move to L.A. It's something that had been weighing on me for a little while. I had started thinking that I had missed the boat on that, that it was, that it was too late to pursue the entertainment career. Yeah. I was feeling sorry for myself about it. I would freaking turn on an episode of Entourage and be like, oh man, I don't want to watch this. This makes me just feel jealous of, yeah. uh, of, of being out there and chasing them. But when, when my job ended in January, 2017, and I knew I was leaving DC, then I was like, let's do this. I moved out. I stayed on a buddy's couch again, very much the cliche. I will not say I had like $5 in my pocket to my name or, or any BS like that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, you know, I had, a very small amount of savings. More than that, I had a family who was incredibly supportive. And my mom saying to me, I want you to take this risk because it's what you care about. And if you fall flat on your face, I think she said if and not when. I don't remember exactly. But uh, <laughs> I think it was if you fall flat on your face, then I will support you. And for one, I was incredibly touched. For another, I think it's important to tell that part of the story because I came from a place of privilege that I was able to have that safety blanket. You know, we're not a wealthy and, family. I'd say Midwest, upper middle, middle class, there's something along those lines. But, yeah. No, but I want to highlight too, is the fact that your mom did that for you. I've talked to so many people on this podcast where they didn't have the parental support, right? And they just, you know, they want us to take conservative jobs because they don't want you to fall flat on your face. And because more, all these other jobs where we don't have people that look like us in them, don't have mentors, they just feel like, oh, you know, the chance of it, a failure is, is, is higher. So that I just want to highlight and underscore, like having that is amazing. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that is something I, I hear all the time too. And I think you've in many ways hit the nail on the head in terms of why, why there aren't people that look like us in this industry. I think for a lot of, you know, white folks, you can turn on any movie and TV, and then you can imagine yourself being an actor or being an entertainer because that's what everyone out there looks like. And so it is so easy to envision yourself 
or for a parent to envision that being their child with with folks you know who are a little less traditional when it comes to a, a background in entertainment yeah it takes some serious imagination to imagine that and not something that everyone has so i'm glad you mentioned that but again i want to highlight the fact that i was fortunate enough to come from a place of privilege that i was able to take a risk that i know that many folks aren't but i came out here i worked a few different jobs the first job i had was a creative artist agency the biggest talent agency out here and it's really funny because they got my resume and they were like we just signed uh the bidens for their post speaking uh their their post administration speaking engagements and we are looking for someone with uh political experience that would want to you know work with their team and i was like you know i'm a big fan of the bidens but i came out here to get away from the political world and that was me uh being a moron because you know you fight and claw for any in in the entertainment industry just any reason to get in that building you take yeah. it so after thinking about it and and you know talking to the folks being like hey we also represent a bunch of comedians Trevor Noah you know Colin Jones Julia Louis Dreyfus you know this is this is something that could put you on that trajectory yeah so i did that for a couple of years for a year and a half actually i feel like Joe Biden did his last paid speaking engagement and then left to run for president. And then I left CA like a couple weeks later. So I saw that one through. It's all right. No need to uh, give me credit for his winning president. That's totally fine. I, I, there were a lot of definitely put you in the footnotes, <laughs> <laughs> please. Um, and then around that time, Cal reached out to me and said, I need an assistant because my NBC show Sunnyside just got picked up. And he said, I'll be honest, I have reservations about hiring a friend as an assistant, uh, to which I said, you know, put me in coach, let's do this. And, and that was that. And I, and I, I then, I then worked for him. We were buddies, but you know, I still, still got him coffee and did the assistant stuff, gave him my advice, often solicited, sometimes not, yeah. um, which I think being friends with the, with the person you're working for has that bonus that to some degree, you, you can get sort of an advisor in addition to uh, an assistant. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is you're in the room, right? Where the decisions and where the, where the content, where everything is happening. I think the biggest thing that I see is exposure and being in, oh, the, yeah. in the place where things are actually happening versus, you know, somewhere else where you're, you look, you're looking at, you're, you're watching the Entourage episode on the side. No, you're actually yeah. in the episode, right? Totally, totally. And and thank you for bringing that up. You know, the show that Cal did, Sunnyside, it was co-created by Matt Murray, former Saturday Night Live writer, Good Place writer. And it was executive produced by Mike Schur, who created truly some of the biggest sitcoms out there, including The Good Place, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So to be a fly on the wall in that writer's room and watch how it's done was just like, you know, in terms of Jedi training into the entertainment world, you could not ask for, for a you know better opportunity. What happened next was I was Cal's assistant and it'd been maybe a year and a half. Cal was in, Cal was in London for a week for work. So I had little to do for him. This was a little over a year ago, 2020 election was gearing up and I just had it in my mind, you know, I thought to myself, I need to write more in my free time. Why don't I use this opportunity to write some sample material since it's a light week? And I thought one of these sample things I could do is a pitch for a potential show I'm going to present to Cal. Uh, I'm going to present to him when he gets back an idea for a show that he could host about young people getting engaged in the 2020 uh, election. And I thought, obviously, this isn't going to go anywhere. I have no experience coming up with a show idea. But my hope is that he will see this. Hopefully he'll like it and I'll have the experience writing it. And he will know that I take it seriously, that I'm trying to take my career to the next level and, you know, come up with ideas and come up with show premises. So I took it to him. I probably didn't express the timely nature of it quite enough because like a month had gone by and I was like, Hey, dude, have you read that thing that I sent you yet? He's like, oh, I'm totally going to. Like, you know, uh, it's sort of uh, about the election, which is coming up really soon. So if you wouldn't mind, do 
And he reads it and he's like, oh my God, this is great. Let's do this. Let's try and make this show and let's pitch this show. And one thing led to another. And like a month later, we had sold a show and uh, I was the uh, executive producer of a Freeform show. Freeform is sort of Disney's youth arm. They air um, Grownish and uh, a couple other just really phenomenal shows that give great representation to under, you know, underheard voices in a lot of ways. And we did this election series. And suddenly I had gone wow. from being suddenly I'd gone from being an assistant to a co-creator of a show within uh, literally within a week. That is amazing. That is amazing. Like I can just imagine you. And like in your room, right, writing this thing, like, ah, this is a, you know, my sample, like hope, hope, hope Cal reads this to a freaking show, right? It, like, you know, that's amazing. It It's really funny. I went to, I had had a, one of my, one of my closest friends, Miles, my buddies, Miles and Kevin had been telling me for a while, for well over a year, we have a uh, writer's group that meets on Sunday. If you ever have any sample material, we workshop each other's material. It's a great, you know, supportive group come. I just never had anything to share. And so I took this and, you know, I presented them my ideas and they were like, you know, I could see this having some actual traction. And now it's like, yo, dude, you show up to our writers group one time and then you sell that idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have golden hands, right? That's, that's who I do. (laughs) To be clear, I shot the moon. This is never going to happen again. This is not a uh yeah this is not a everything i touch turns to gold this is a um beginner's luck situation um so so talk to us like what that was like like being an executive producer for a show like what does that entail what did you what how what was that like well the i mean the the first thing that we do is like we're pitching the idea of the show you know to different folks and so it's a the first call we have is Samantha B who's like interested in it. So it's me and Cal and Samantha B and someone Kristen on her team. And like, I'm not sure if I would be qualified to interview for a job on Samantha B's show. So let, let alone tell her why she should buy a show that I myself created. So it is uh, to some degree a fake it till you make it mentality. Then when the show actually got made, I was partnered with our showrunner, um, this guy, Stu Miller, who was the field director for The Daily Show for a while. And uh, he had just gotten off. We didn't even know this movie was being made because it was secret. He had just gotten off heading the field department for Borat 2. So this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and he became a close friend and an ally. And we we're on the phone like 24-7 talking about ideas for this show. And again, it's like, in this moment, I am this dude's equal, like coming up with ideas, even though he's been doing this for so long, yeah. knows so much more than me, but it's a learning experience. And the show was an absolute blast. We ended up booking incredible guests. You know, uh, labor leader Dolores Huerta was our first guest. You know, she marched alongside Cesar Chavez. Uh, our second guest was Hillary Clinton. We had cameos from Kumail Nanjani and from Joey King and Mark Cuban. And just what an incredible experience. And also getting to hopefully uh, make a difference in an election year. Yeah, that's incredible. And again, we we talk about pinch me moments like that. You probably when like Hillary Clinton is sitting across from Cal and you're like, gosh, like I did. I was the I was the engineer of this, right? This is the genesis was in my head. Like, man, that's so cool. I'm so happy for you. Like, Thank you, dude. That's amazing. I appreciate it. It was very much a pinch. Here's what I'll say. It was very much a pinch me moment. It was like the you know, the highest high I'll ever feel. No, not because Cal was giving me some of his good stuff. He uh he does not as far as I know. Yeah. But the highest high I will ever feel. But at the back of my mind, I knew that I had shot the moon, right? Like I was like, this show is going to end and I will go back to being an assistant at best or unemployed. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. Hopefully, hopefully under a new administration. Um, I don't think I'll go back to politics and government, but I could always do that if I fail, I suppose. But I, I had that in the back of my mind. Again, I got very lucky in that 
maybe the week after the show wrapped. Actually, the show hadn't wrapped. We were still working on it. We had maybe one week to go. My team at United Talent Agency, who I had just started working with uh, the week before to you know, sort of help me find the next gig, was like, oh, Lily Singh is hiring for her season two. And so for me, it's like, all right, at this time in my life, the one South Asian late night host, someone who I really look up to, yes. really respect, is yes. looking for writers. Could this timing be any better? And again, I got incredibly fortunate. And and after several rounds of submissions and interviews, landed a, a job with with her show that started, you know, the month after uh, after our show ended. That is amazing. That is serendipitous moments, my man. Totally. The timing worked out incredibly well on that. Talk to us what it's like working with Lily and your experience as a writer for her. Oh my God. For one, Lily is, and you know, she's probably not going to listen to this. So don't think I'm pandering. Um, she's the hardest, uh, hardest worker I've ever seen. I mean, so she will, I mean, every, every single script that goes before her for one, she'll have approved it, but for two, she, for another, she will have done edits and punch-ups and added jokes herself. But working on her show has been such a fun, just, you know, they said to me in the, in the interview, actually, they're like, you used to work in DC. You come from a, uh, you know, from a political background. This is not necessarily going to be a political show. Are you sure that, you know, you want to do something that is maybe a little bit outside of your background and outside of your, your taste? It turns out to their credit, I think they were underselling that a little. Lily is, you know, politics, politics doesn't have to mean, you know, horse race running for office election. It can be about the attacks on farmers that are happening right now in India or right. uh, the attacks on trans people that are happening right now in this country, both of which, among many other things, we've been fortunate enough to cover and I've been fortunate enough to, to get to write about. But during that initial interview, being told, are you sure you want to do something that's not as political as you might like? It was a very easy yes. It was like, you know what? There will always be politics. There will always be government. This just seems fun. I just, yeah. the fact that it is a 1.30 a.m. time slot, you know, the not to not to not give ourselves the, the fair amount of respect, but it's like that affords you a chance to really experiment with fun ideas right. and right. stuff. And you know, writing just the silliest stuff. One of one of the first things I wrote was it's like an inside the actors studio type thing. And it is an interview with Lily Singh is playing a British actress named Rima Grant. And Rima Grant's claim to fame is that she is the actress who plays Lily Singh on A Little Late with Lily Singh. And so the premise here is that Lily is not a real person. She is a character played by an actress. <laughs> and it's just like, would would Fallon ever entertain that at his 1130 time slot? Who knows? Right. But uh right. but that is some that is some 1:30 a.m. stuff right there. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> what what were some um can you share some of the highlights of uh like memories that that you've done and maybe even share some of the lowlights because I want people to know that you know, you, you've had an, a very illustrious career, right? You shot the moon, but I want to also talk, talk about some of the, the, the harder moments. Can you, can you share a bit of both? Of course. And so you mean in the, in the past, like throughout this. Correct. Yeah. So I will say that Hollywood, I mean, I'm, I'm not one to talk because I'm still, you know, I still consider myself, I'm still a good age. I'm 31. I'm still young, but Hollywood is like a very young town. So sitting the fact that i the fact that i came to hollywood in my late 20s with no experience uh at least in that industry i was competing against people who were 21 22 years old and were just out of college so i'd be an assistant beside someone 7 years younger than me or watching agents uh a few years younger than me down the hallway was a humbling experience and it was not a bad experience. It was, it was still an incredible one, but it was like, am I up against the clock here? How quickly do I have to make this work? Because I don't have the luxury of dicking around for 10 years and hoping that, that something sticks. So, yeah. you know, that, 
that was, I think, again, I don't want to call it a low point, but it, it really put my back up against the wall. But, you know, all of it, all of it was fun. All of it was a good experience. I'm I'm very fortunate that I I can't think of any uh, any sob stories uh, at That's least good. anything that that would make someone feel sorry for me in this. Uh, no, in no, this that's industry. great because I think having perspective just to know eyes wide open because the goal of this is if someone listens and say, hey, I want to be a writer, know what eyes wide open what it's going to be like, the goods, the bads, the uglies. But glad there's not too many uglies in, in your story, which which is which is amazing. Well, I think. I mean, I will say this too. When I was younger, working between political campaigns often times meant meant months without jo- without a job. So I think before I, you know, mm. earlier on in my twenties, before I made it to Hollywood, that's where some of the low moments were. Got it. So I think a lot of people, you know, I ex- I experienced those those same anxieties and fear of being unemployed for the rest of my life and all that stuff. I just experienced it in a different industry got such it. such that when I got out here, I was a little more battle tested. That's that right. Sense. Hardened. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can't break me. Uh, DC has already done that for you. That's right. That's right, man. That's amazing. Okay. Um, I would love to transition um, in our last few minutes to our rapid fire questions. And for everyone listening, these are questions we've asked all our guests. And I'm so excited, Raman, to hear your, your thoughts on these. Oh, God. Um, Okay, first question is, is there a item or service that you've bought recently that has dramatically improved your life? It can be big or small, but something that you've bought recently that you're like, man, this is something that I love. I really freaking wish someone had told me 13 months ago when we started using Zoom that I should get AirPods. Uh, (laughs) That would have been really, really nice, especially when you've got the hair that I do that you can just hide them underneath. Yeah. So I got these like a month ago and I'm truly like, what have you been doing until, yeah. until now? Man. You're game changing. Kind, of <laughs> kind of a boring answer, but you want to talk about a utility item. Yeah. Uh, you know, if anyone else out there wants iPods, tell them ramen sent you. Yeah. You get a there 5% you go. Discount. Right. If, if, if you already are not into like half your work things, Apple products, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, I want to ask you this, and maybe you have a different answer, is when you think of a South Asian person you look up to in the entertainment field, who would you say comes to mind and why? And I think we've talked about a few. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so let me, uh, I guess, let me, let me think of some others. You know, one person you had, um, the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, on yeah. your show, I thought just, what an incredible interview, what an incredible person. Right. He's someone I very much look up to. I, you know, I think Kumail and Johnny just what a badass. I I think he's so funny. Hassan, I think Aziz was really one of the first one of the first stand up that yep. that I was like, I am obsessed with this guy. I, you know, stand up wise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I would would love to be like this guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Those kind of uh, guys and gals is just like you know, every time you see someone like that who 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 breaks a a barrier, like who does something that we as a community haven't done, you're just like, wow! Like it's just so comforting, right? Like you know, even Doctor Vivek Murthy, right? Who is a doctor? A lot of us are doctors, but to become the Surgeon General, yeah, like the top doctor, and like when I was doing the interview, just the humility he has in the role, right? Even he totally. has dark moments, right? The guy who has seven degrees, right, has dark moments. You're like, you feel better about well, you know what you're going through in your life. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Although, yeah, I mean, ha- having a brown guy as the Surgeon General certainly has its downsides. Can you imagine every uh, every brown uh, every brown person whose parents made them go to med school and right. they're like, "All right, I finally did it," and now they're like, "Oh, but you're not, but you're not the Surgeon General. What's right. that about? How come?" Right, you got a ninety-nine out of a hundred. Where's the last point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all we've all heard that one. <laughs> Man, that's great. Um, okay, this is a, a great one. I'd love to hear your answer. Is what is a movie or book that has had the most impact on you? God, I, you know, I, I gotta go. Harold and Kumar. It's just how can you not? It's it is yeah. about a dude who looks like me, just smoking weed, having uh, being a genius, being a badass. 
yeah. having a good time. And again, I just, the fact that the fact that my dad took me to see that in theaters when I was 14 years old, hella awkward uh, moment with the second, <laughs> like truly, uh, I don't know if you were with your family, Samir, when you saw Harold and Kumar. I, I was time. not. I made that a point. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good call. Okay, great. That that yeah. And uh, I, have you? I'm curious to know. Have you revisited that movie later on in your life? And have you noticed things that you're like, oh, when I first watched it, this was something that I that I may have missed, or something about with your experience you've seen. Good question. I know there there's a moment when um, when Kumar says thank you, come again in the Apu voice, yeah. and getting to know Cal, I know that one of the things that has always really, really bothered him was, was Apu from the Simpsons and the mm-hmm. fact that Hank Azaria, a white guy plays Apu. So knowing that and revisiting that scene, knowing that it's a real F you to the white people who talk in that voice, uh, I think is really cool. That's cool. That's a good thing. I didn't know that, 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 uh, you know, yeah. Well. And you know, I don't know. Have you seen the problem with Apu, the Hari Kondabolu? I have not seen it, but uh, it's definitely on my list. It's great. And it got results like it. You know, one could you you read the comments uh, on. We'll never read the comments. But if you do read the comments talking about it on, on Twitter, it's just all these angry white dudes. And to be clear, I'm a Simpsons fan. I grew up on the Simpsons. Uh, yeah. I love the Simpsons. That is obviously something to reckon with the uh, the uh, right. thing, but the video, the 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 film, the documentary, which with Cal was interviewed for, got results, and now they are recasting uh, Apu to be an actual brown person. So, and that is so cool. That is so cool because it's like small steps like that, right? Things that you thought were like you know set in stone. This is the symptoms. Like you can't touch that. You, we as people can make change if you just you know raise the voices and bring concerns up and like. I think I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like, there are still so many barriers to be broken. Right, right. But even one small step gives a crack. Yep. Right. Okay. Um, the these questions are some of my favorite. And I'm so excited to hear your thoughts behind this. Is Uh-oh. so imagine someone who's South Asian, like who is who wants to become a writer, who wants to become an in, 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 part of the entertainment industry. What advice would you give them and why? Awesome. Great. Great question. And I'm excited to to answer it. There are so many supportive groups out there who I think you, groups and people like uh, CAPE, the Coalition of Pacific, Coalition of Asians and you know Pacific Islanders, I believe CAPE in entertainment. And these are folks that that really elevate voices and help people. And I think I just imagine that if you are a young person who is interested in pursuing this and you don't have the support system, there are just so many of these people looking to give back that you could frankly, you know, I, I'd say I'm one of these people. I've responded to to blind messages on Instagram and Twitter of, you know, hey, really would love to, to pick your brains about how to do this and how to get involved. And I think there is absolutely no harm in sending those messages, sending those emails, do the research, you know, people you look up to, reach out to them. It it may not be a, a, you know, you may not have as good luck sending a message to someone like Cal or Lily who get a million a million of these a day uh, as you as you may a Ramen Borsalino who's desperate to feel validated. Uh, <laughs> but but truly, I think a lot. Of, we, you know, we've been talking about this. A lot of a lot of folks like us do not have parents who understand the industry. And so you may not know anyone who's ever done this. Reach out to folks blindly. And I yeah. think you will be very pleasantly surprised in the feedback you get, even if that requires um, not giving up and, and reaching out to a number yeah. of folks after, after if you haven't, you know. Been other than uh, CAPE, were there any other organizations or helpful things that you can share with the listeners that would be useful for people that you know, or wanting to do more research or any books or, or interviews that might be helpful. Yeah. Let me think about that. If you join the Obama campaign in 2007, then (laughs) you will strike gold 
get a time machine and go back 2007 with little ramen and you guys can maybe yeah. be big. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no. But no, I mean, just, just watch, just watch and learn, right. Immerse yourself in this. Yep. I think uh, Hollywood uh, is one of the few ind- industries where you can like watch game of Thrones or parks and rec and be like, what I'm doing research for work. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> this is part of my homework right here. <laughs> yeah, truly. Awesome. Well, this has been an amazing, amazing interview, man. I've like, I'm, you can see I've been smiling like 95% <laughs> of the time. Um, before we close, anything you'd like to leave the audience with any, anything you'd like to, to share before we, we wrap up? I mean, look, I'm still very much, hopefully at the beginning of, of my entertainment career. And I've had some minor successes and I'm sure there will be periods of unemployment, et cetera. And, and those, those down moments we talked about earlier, but every, all of the, all of the, the minor successes I've experienced so far have just been the direct result of a supportive community, uh, mm-hmm. a supportive, a very supportive South Asian community, people who may not know this world, but just wanted to just saw that it was something that I was interested in and wanted to be supportive folks who may not be of the same background, but in the industry, but know that it's time for a change and time to, to make this industry less white male loved ones, mentors. It's just, I think any success should be chalked up to, to, to those around you helping and supporting you and, and uplifting you. And so to me, it is very, very important that I give back. And, you know, when I'm, when I feel like I know enough that I'm in a position to, yeah. to mentor the next crop, I want to be doing that. But I also right now want to really just be thanking everyone, all of my mentors and, and the folks who, who have, who have helped break into an industry that, you know, may not, may not be that easy to get into, but Samir, this has been so much fun. I mean, yeah. what a blast. I love this conversation. Man, Thank you for so having good. me on. One of our best. One, one, do you, one, if people want to reach out, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, you know, try sliding into the, into the DMS <laughs> yes. at Ramen Borsalino on, uh, on Instagram. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks again. Um, we cannot wait to see your amazing work uh, on Lily Singh and, and, and beyond. Uh, thank you again for what all you do for our community and lifting the voices and just trailblazing uh, more than that anything. is praise. I do not deserve, <laughs> but I will, I will take it. Absolutely. The validation um, they, you were looking for. <laughs> exactly. When, before we started, before we started recording, we scripted this out. But yeah. uh, but no, right. thank you for elevating voices. Truly. So important. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.